So today we're going to continue on in the sermon series that we started last week. And this is really more than a sermon series. What we're, what we're doing is we're going to walk with Jesus for a while. And as the world around us swirls in chaos, we're going to focus back in on what matters. We're going to, to walk with Jesus. And really, we're doing this thing. There's, in the book of Luke in the Bible, there's um, 10 chapters that are known as the travel narrative. And so let me set the stage for you a little bit. What's happening is Jesus has done all of his ministry around the, the Sea of Galilee, this lake in Israel. He's doing all his ministry there. And then the time comes for him to go to Jerusalem, where he'll be crucified. And so as he uh, needs to go from one place to another, as he has to go from where he was living and staying and, and, and working in Capernaum all the way down to Jerusalem, he takes this walk. He doesn't get on a plane. He doesn't have a boat. He, he, he takes a walk. And he takes this three to five day walk. And it goes through Samaria. And so in between Galilee and Jerusalem is the, the land known as Samaria. And Samaritans, the people who lived in Samaria, were the enemies of the Jews, they, they were hostile with each other. There was not a lot of friendliness there. And so what we're going to walk uh, with Jesus and what we're going to watch Jesus do is walk through hostile territory. And if, if this doesn't feel uh, relevant to our present situation, I don't know what does. In a, a world where uh, people are sending me videos of, of people burning Bibles and where uh, Christian values are a little less in vogue every year, where the idea that Jesus might be the actual answer to the problems around us seems a little hokey to people on the outside. Uh, Jesus says, hey, when people come against you, when people are hostile towards me, this is how you respond. And so we're going to walk with Jesus through Samaria, and what we're going to learn is what does it look like to uh, fight through the shouting around us and to listen to the still, small voice of God that is offering you hope today. So we're going to walk. We're going to walk for the days to come. We're going to see glory in ordinary things. Uh, we're going to go slow enough to hear Jesus, not just read Jesus. It takes us a minute to be reminded that Jesus never, we don't have any of his writings. He didn't leave us uh, his written book. He spoke and people recorded it. And so Jesus is a speaking king. Jesus is giving instruction as he goes and people are writing it down and going, man, that's gold. I got to keep that. And we're so used to in 2020, we're so used to reading Jesus. But Jesus wasn't an author. Jesus was a man who was fully God, who walked the earth, who spoke to his friends, who spoke to uh, those around him. And so the question we have to ask is, how do we walk through a culture that's increasingly hostile or at least apathetic to Jesus? And what we're going to see through the weeks to come is that Jesus is unhurried and continuously interruptible. Jesus is unhurried and continuously interruptible. And even in a, a stage where we've been in shutdown, this phrase up here, Eugene Peterson wrote this in a book. He said, Jesus is unhurried and continuously interruptible. And I think there's beauty in that because we are, even when we can't go anywhere, we're frantic. We're doom scrolling the internet and trying to figure out what's next. And, and Jesus is unhurried. And if somebody comes with a, a problem or a question or a need, Jesus sees to it. And if I take anything from these first few weeks as we walk through this, I want to be unhurried and continuously interruptible. When the phone rings, I don't want to be the one who goes, oh, let that go to voicemail. I want to go, I'm unhurried and continuously interruptible. Hello. So maybe we'll get there together. This is heart-level work. And so where we're going happens in between places. So Jesus is going to be between Galilee and Jerusalem. This is not comfortable home ground. And so you and I live in a world where we're between skepticism, doubt, and faith, somewhere in there is where we usually live. We're in between the already and the not yet. In between Sundays is where we live. We say we are a church of the 167. 
which there's 168 hours in the week, and we get one here, and in between Sundays is where we actually live out our lives. And so we live in the 167. We spend most of our time with people who are not real interested, whether they believe it or not, not real interested in living this out. But what we can realize in the moments to come is that everything is spiritual and that holiness can happen in any conversation. So in a way, we're going to write our own travel narrative through the 167 of our life. And as we travel through the world on mission and in contact with God's created people, we're going to introduce him to those who don't yet see him as creator. And that's our mission in this. In the 167, in, these, in the hours we get between Sunday mornings, our mission is to introduce God's created people to their creator. That those who don't yet see him that way, we get to say, look, there's a bigger plan, there's a bigger purpose, there's a bigger hope, and all the things that swirl around you, if you would just recognize that you were created and there's a creator who loves you, we'll have hope. So we're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to see uh, what it looks like when Jesus isn't in church. He's not in church. He's just walking through the world. And we're going to do that starting in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. We'll put it on the screen. You can read along with us. It says, when uh, the days drew near for him to be received up, he set his face, Jesus did, to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. He sent his friends ahead of him. They went and they entered a village of the Samaritans, remember his enemies, to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. He was a Jew. And when his disciples, James and John, these are the Zebedee brothers, when they saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to bid fire come down from heaven and consume them? Pretty rational. He turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Okay, so, so Jesus is sending people ahead of him. This is, this is customary. Jesus is going to be traveling, and he has these friends. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher. And his students, these young men, he says, why don't you guys go ahead? And just go into the next villages and see if you can secure room and board. It's like you go on your phone to book a hotel for the trip you're going to take. This is what he's doing. Jesus goes onto his discipleship app and he goes, you guys go book the hotel. And so he's going to people and saying, hey, do you guys have room for us? Do you have a place for us? And what it says is being Jews, they've been rejected by Samaritans. Their enemies say, no way, we're not going to host you. And so what happens is the Zebedee boys, James and John, in other parts of the Bible, there's another narrative where they're, they're named the sons of thunder. These are uh, brawlers. These are the kind of people that are in the bar right now that if you walk in and you make no eye contact whatsoever, they go, you looking at me? You know, that's them, James and John. You think you're better than me? That's more of a Boston thing, I guess. But James and John are the, the brawlers. They're the Zebedee brothers. And so their first idea upon being rejected is to do what? Lord, do you want us to bid fire come down from heaven and consume them? To which Jesus says... No, that's a strange idea. Maybe don't do that. Maybe we'll just go to a different village. We'll find someone eventually. The sons of thunder are ready to throw down. They want to roast the Samaritans for rejecting them. And here's what you need to know. This is actually a really beautiful thing. When we, we see this book, we see the Bible, and we go, ah, oh, it's a nice collection of stories. It is a beautiful, living, threaded uh, it's life happening in our midst. So the Zebedee brothers, 800 years before, in that same, very same land, there's a guy by the name of Elijah. And Elijah was facing these armies, and, and they would come to him, and Elijah called down fire from heaven. And the fire consumed his enemies. And then three days before this journey starts, they're at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is where Jesus goes up on the mountaintop, and like, ah, and the, the light comes, and he takes three friends. And two of those are the Zebedee brothers. And they see this interaction. And Jesus, they, they see him interacting with Elijah, the same Elijah from 800 years ago. 
So they're, they're witnessed this miracle, and they got this idea in their head that, like, well, Jesus, Elijah, fire, enemies, let's go. And so this beautiful kind of, like, like, full circle thing happens, and they go, well, on this very spot, God roasted some people, so let's roast people. Jesus says what? He rebukes them. Now, I don't know that Jesus said this, so this is the, the KJV, it's the Kyle... Joseph version. Um, I think he goes, you idiots, come on. I think that's what he says. You, you read through Jesus' life, and every time Peter takes out a sword, and he goes, come on, seriously, guys? Do you not know me yet? So he goes, come on, let's, let's just move to the next village. Jesus is imperturbable, which is a word I did not make up. Here's the thing. Jesus is on a mission. I don't know if you know this. You're on a mission. Like, everybody's got a mission. That thing you're aiming for in life, that is your mission. Jesus is on a mission, and the great danger in his mission and in our mission is not abandonment, it's distraction. The, the people saying no to him are just a distraction. Samaritans are just a distraction. They can't stop him. And so Jesus is saying, guys, we're focused on something here. Stay focused. It reminds me of the Screwtape Letters. We, we come back to that often. There's this book, C.S. Lewis wrote this beautiful book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's, it's this kind of uh, book from a, a demon to his nephew in training. And, and it's the whole way you read through the book is you just get to see what it would look like if there were really an enemy to the life that God has made for us. And we believe there is. But the, the, the beauty of the book is it takes you behind the scenes of what would it look like to, to get me off mission, to get me off course. And as you see these, the demon and his nephew apprentice interacting, one of the things he says often is, is distraction is enough. One of the famous lines from the book is, um, why go to murder when cards will do? Why, why lead someone into to great violence when just distracting him with a game of cards will do? Distraction works just as well as some terrible sin. Distraction works just as well as anything else in getting us off mission and getting our eyes focused on something that isn't the point of all of this. And so I would ask you as, as someone in this room, I would guess that most of us have some level of faith in us. And it isn't that we're thinking of abandoning faith in the moment. It isn't that the world outside is, is stealing our faithfulness. It isn't that we don't believe in God because of the things that are happening in our world. It's that we're distracted by them and we just sort of forget. That the world is just sort of quietly distracting. That there's enough to do and see and think about and plan for and react to that we just forget about the thing we were here for in the first place. Has there ever been a year where there has been more to distract you? Maybe, but maybe not. Has there ever been more distraction than in the year 2020, the good year of our Lord? Not as if we didn't have enough. This week I got an email from somebody who says, by the way, there are UFOs. And I was like, no, that's not a thing. We're not doing that. Like, we got enough. We don't need UFOs. And they send me the link from the you know, New York Times story with the Navy press release that shows that there's... Um, Vessels built not on this earth, is what the Navy says. I'm like, okay, so the Navy now says that they don't know where these things came from, and they got videos, and they don't know what they're talking about, and they're saying, yeah, we're going to have a, a whole press briefing on the UFOs soon. And I'm just going, in any other year, this is on the front page, it's all we're talking about. Hey, there's UFOs. This year? <laughs> Who cares? Are, are my kids going to be in my basement for another six months is all I really care about at this point. And, and there's UFOs. There's one more thing to distract us, and we're so distracted we didn't even notice. If you didn't know about that, you can look it up. And then you go down those same rabbit hole I went down. I don't want to talk about them anymore. I'm going to pretend they don't exist. Here's the deal. It's just distraction. 
Distraction leads us to nothing. It doesn't lead to anywhere important. It doesn't actually lead to somewhere terrible. It's just, I spent three hours reading about UFOs this week. And instead of being on the mission, instead of focusing on the things I could do, on loving my neighbor, instead of focusing on all the things that I could do, I was just distracted. Sometimes, like the Zebedees, we have uh, this offer of a more exciting mission out there for us. They see the, the Samaritans reject them, and they go, well, this is way more exciting. You want to walk to Jerusalem? What if we start calling down fire? This could be cool. And so we pick fights because that sounds a lot more exciting than just keeping our head down and putting our nose down and just doing the work in front of us. Zebedees are still at it today. I don't know if any of you have ever been on this thing called social media, but apparently there's some bickering going on these days. It's violence. It's just word violence, but it's violence all the same. Fiery words raining both directions. People who are uh, not on Facebook or have like sworn it off that say, I can't do this anymore. It's too stressful. It's too much anxiety. There was a study that came out recently, total aside, there's a one-to-one correlation with uh, social media usage and anxiety uh, prevalence in life. And they've done all these studies, and it's what we've suspected forever, but they said, yeah, no, basically, um, that's it. Social media usage and anxiety, just, they just mirror each other. And as one drops off, the other tends to go with it. But we live in a world where this is just normal, where you just start lashing out at things. We just all become the Zebedees. Amy Acton, the doctor that was uh, leading kind of the, the, the coronavirus thing in Ohio, right? Remember her? There was, at the very beginning, there was DeWine, and then he always had Amy Acton. And she resigned with great sadness. Um, she, I don't know if you agree with her. I don't even really know what she said. I didn't pay much attention to what she was up to. What I do know is she signed up to protect the public and offer her advice from some area of expertise, whether you agree with her or not. And she resigned after giving her expertise, and people surrounded her personal residence and made death threats because she was doing her job. And we didn't agree with it, or we didn't like it, or whatever the issue was for the person who surrounds her residence, but people are surrounding her residence and threatening to kill her. And she just goes, I don't need this. I'm out. Because we're modern-day Zebedees, because we're looking to pick a fight, because we need some, somebody to brawl with. And we're forgetting that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is not the person sitting next to me or the, my neighbor who has a different viewpoint or when the yard signs start going and just wait for this. It's, November's coming. And people are going to start drawing lines on yard signs. Yours is red and mine is blue. Oh, we're not going to be friends anymore. And they're starting to show up and you're going, oh, I didn't know they were that way. Oh, I didn't know they were going that way. That's not your enemy. But we hear the whispers. People need somewhere to, to let off the steam. People need somewhere to vent. And I hear the whispers. I, oh, what are these, these elders? What are they doing? Church has been closed for five months. For the love of God, just open the place. I hear it. I don't hear it directly. But the grapevines are short, and you hear it, and you go, well, okay. Matthew uh, chapter 5, Jesus is talking to his friends back at the beginning of that journey up at near Capernaum, and he's on, around the lake, and they're sitting in this amphitheater around the lake, and he says, you've heard it said that it was uh, to the men of old, you shall not kill, but whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. And Jesus says, the old rule was don't kill. Here's my new rule. Jesus says, every one of you who's angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool shall be liable to the hell of fire. Guys, we don't need to break a window or pull a trigger to get Jesus' rebuke. We don't need to break a window at a downtown business to get Jesus' rebuke. 
just as easily angry words at those who might break the window. And so the cycle goes on, and it's up to us to break the cycle of anger, to break the cycle of this calling down of fire, and to be the light in a place of darkness. But distractions just launch us into more bitter arguments and contempt and resentment, and we become Zebedees. We become those calling fire down upon anybody who doesn't stay in line with us. We become them. In the eyes of Jesus, I would say, in the eyes of Jesus, the rioters of the summer unrest and the self-righteous who sat in judgment and spewed angry words were equally guilty of violence. And I will get an email about that tomorrow. And somebody will say, no, 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 that's not the same thing. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell us. When I'm frustrated... This is not me telling you. This is me saying, I'm here. When I see something that's running counter to my preferences, to the, counter to the way I think this should be going, counter as somebody who's leading in this community, when somebody, I hear through the grapevine that another pastor in town is, is bad-mouthing us because we're not doing it with the way they're doing it, first thing in my heart is anger. First thing. Come on. So I'm not saying it's you. I'm saying it's us. It's our first reaction is call down fire. Hey, come on. Whereas what God has told us to do, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is be peacemakers, to go to them and go, hey, we're on the same mission. Don't get distracted. We can do this. We have a bigger enemy. We have a bigger prize. Let's go. And instead, my first reaction is the same as yours, anger. They're moving my cheese. They're changing my preferences. I don't want to do it that way. Murder is no better than cards if cards will do the trick. So the trip begins, and they start to walk. Jesus and his disciples, they're walking It starts with these sons of thunder trying to call down fire. And it ends with Romans killing Jesus for no good reason. And so, like I said, the beauty of life is the in-between. So we continue the journey with Jesus. We start walking with him in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. He says, as they were going along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Didn't hear from that guy again. To another, he said, hey, would you follow me? But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's tough. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus starts the walk. He starts his journey to Jerusalem. And his disciples are with him and they're, they're making their way. And the first one comes up and says, hey, I'll go with you guys. And Jesus goes, buddy, we're essentially homeless here. I don't know if you know that. It's not going to be fun. And we never hear from that person again. Oh, uh, I'll catch up with you later. Uh, then he goes to another and he says, hey, f- follow me. Someone shows interest. He goes, yeah, well, why don't you just come with us? This is going to be, this is a thing. You should come. And he says, first, let me tie up some loose ends. Let me go and, and sort out, bury my father. Let me, there's a phrase, and there's a whole backstory to that, what that really means. And it may not be that he was actually going to do a funeral and bury his father. It may be that as the firstborn, he, needed to, he had the inheritance. And he had to, like, before his, until his dad was gone, he had the full responsibility to hold the weight of the family. There's a whole thing there. What he's essentially saying is, let me tie up some loose ends, and then I'll come with you. And Jesus, there's a lot of interpretations to his response I want to offer this one. This is, again, my paraphrase. I think Jesus looks at him and says, why are you so anxious to sweep the walkway of death when the path of life is unoffered to you? Why are you so anxious to sweep the walkway of death when the path of life is unoffered? Jesus says, come and follow me. And the guy goes, I got some stuff to take care of first. I got some responsibilities still. And Jesus 
knowing he's the son of God, knowing he's the king of the universe, knowing that he is about to go and be crucified and resurrected, knowing the epic adventure that he is on, Jesus goes, if you only knew, sweeping the walkway of death and the path of life is on offer. My friend, uh, when I was a missionary in Africa, we had a friend from Burundi. Burundi is a war-torn Central African country, um, one of the poorest places on earth, one of the most violent places on earth, uh, just generations of civil war. And, and our friend from Burundi, his name was Juma Pili Barandayama. Uh, we just called him Juma because that's a lot of letters. And Juma, I've told this story before, Juma got to South Africa, um, which is kind of the most developed, richest country in Africa. He got to South Africa on like a six-week journey that started with walking and then was a boat and then there was a hitch to ride with a trucker and then got on another boat and then walked for four more days and then eventually snuck under a gate uh, in the desert somewhere in South Africa and found his way to a, an embassy and claimed a refugee status. He had this incredible long journey and I was thinking of him when I was, I was thinking of this, this passage and the guy go, let me go first bury my father and Jesus' response to that. Because Juma, Juma did this incredible trip and, and it's as if Jesus walks up to Juma and says, um, I, got a, I got a plane here and I'd like to take you. Like this whole journey you have planned, this whole thing you think you're going to do, I could just take you and we could just be on, on the way. Like life is, is in the plane, just get in. And, and Juma instead is looking at his maps and he's got his compass out and he's drawing lines on where he needs to go next. And he's so focused on his plan, he's so focused on what's right in front of him that he's working on what he can control that he refuses the life that's on offer in the plane. And instead takes his own journey of death instead of the flight of life. And it, that's what, it reminded me of that like, idea that you're lost in the, in the wilderness and you're trying to find your way out and the helicopter lands and they're there to rescue you and you go, no, 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 I think I figured out the path I need to get out of here. And they go, I'm the path. Jesus says, I'm the path. And so many of us find ourselves in the world, we're navigating our own way, we got our heads down, we're looking at the map, we're going, man, this didn't lead to the life I thought it would have. This leaves me unsatisfied and this leaves me feeling insignificant. And what is it? And Jesus just sits there going, I'm the path. I'm the path. Dead people are troubled with the things of death, in essence, is what Jesus says to him. But people who want to live, we live. The third one says, I'm ready. I'm ready to come with you. Almost. I just got one, one more, two more things to do. Almost. Jesus says, now or never. And we never hear from him again. So we're steps into the journey. Three are invited to follow, and three have immediately faded out. What do we learn from this? One, when Jesus says, follow me, he never says it'll be easy. He just says we won't go alone. When Jesus says, follow me, he never says it's going to be easy. He doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. We make the mistake, uh, I'm pointing at myself, over the years, preachers have made the mistake. We want to say the things that tickle your ears to make you feel better, to make you feel like the problems you brought in won't leave with you if you'll just pray this prayer, if you'll just follow Jesus. The problems won't go with you. And the reality is the problems go with you, but the answer is now with you too. That life doesn't get easier when you follow Jesus. In many ways, it gets much harder because you have a higher standard to live towards because you have a greater purpose in life and you can't simply wander around the desert. There's something greater at play. Jesus never said it'd be easy. He just said you wouldn't ever walk alone. That's what this place represents. That's what church represents. Church is not a place you come. It's a people that gather. It's a people that journey together. It's when we were scattered in our homes on some sort of lockdown that we found a way to be together anyway, that people are Zoom community group together. 
that people are FaceTiming each other, that people are having backyard uh, meetups and outdoor socially distant. Like, why do we work so hard for it? Because we were made for it. That's what church is. Church is saying, we are the body of Christ here today, and this is not going to be easy. But you don't have to go alone. You never have to do this alone. So first thing we learn is Jesus never said it'd be easy. Second thing, we have to recognize that we're being invited to something fundamentally new. When Jesus says, follow me, he's inviting us to something fundamentally new. He says, leave the old, join the new. The old has gone, the new has come. When Jesus invites us into his, into his path, when Jesus invites us onto the way, he invites us into something brand new. Third, we see really clearly, we don't get to follow Jesus on our terms. This is hard. This is us staring at that map going, can you help me? And Jesus goes, no, no, no. You got it flipped. I'm the answer. You want to help me? We don't get to follow Jesus on our terms. We don't get to do it when it's convenient. We don't get to just turn it on or off. I follow him on Sunday, but not on Monday. It's hard at school, but it's easy at work. We don't get to do that. Jesus says, you're in. And when you're in, it's going to be good. I promise. Come on. So as we make our way through Samaria with Jesus, we can be sure of something. It won't be easy. Doesn't mean it won't be good. It won't be familiar. Doesn't mean we won't have family for the journey. And it won't be with us in charge. It won't be with us in control. Which, if I'm going to read the room by reading my own soul and projecting my, uh, myself on you, that's the hardest one for us as Americans. We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And so when somebody tells you that you have to give up a bit of your freedom and you have to surrender it to Jesus and let him lead you, that you're not in charge anymore, you can't be in control of your own destiny anymore, that he's got you covered, even the savior of the world, even the creator of the universe, even then we go, oh, are you sure? I really think I'd rather drive. And Jesus is like, that's not how it works. When we engage the world around us in the 167, when we leave this hour and we engage the world in the way that Jesus engaged the world, what we will find is that life begets life, is that hope is found, is that grace begins to spread. We will see that. Jesus' way is sometimes difficult, but it's always good as we walk through the days ahead of us, as we walk into a more contentious season, as we walk into more uncertainty, as we go from this spot in our existence in 2020 into the days that come, whatever they bring, Jesus doesn't promise that it will be easy. He does show us that with him, life is good. And so our invitation as a body, as we begin this walk, this travel narrative with Jesus, as we focus in on the the one who came to bring life, my invitation to you is to slow down a little bit said it last week, to take that, if you have a Bible, you take your little ribbon that comes in the Bible as your placeholder, as your bookmark, and just put it in Luke chapter 9. And just read Luke 9. And a week or two from now, we'll be in Luke 10. And then just start reading Luke 10. And just soak. Slow down. Walk with Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Let the words not be read, but let them be heard. Jesus is unhurried and continuously interruptible. When he leaves us, when he leaves his disciples, he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. As I was sent here, now you're the one leading the charge on the mission. Are we that? 
Are we unhurried because we're so assured of our grace and our position in him? Are we unhurried because we know where we stand because hope is greater than the circumstances around us? Are we unhurried in those places? And if we are in Jesus in that way, can we be continuously interruptible? Meaning, are we available to those around us to show them the truth that we know? To offer them the hope that we have, to spread the grace that we have received. And that's the interruptible peace when we are so focused on our map and our way and our plans and our preferences, we become distracted from the thing we've been invited to do all along, which is to walk the journey of interruption and allow that God is setting up opportunity left and right for us. God is setting up opportunities everywhere that you and I are going to run into people over and over and over again, and they're going to say, I don't know who to trust, and I don't know who to listen to, and I don't know what to believe, and they are uh, fake news and different truths, and, and who, everything's upside down. What do I do? God is sending people into our path where we simply say, I think there's a hope greater than that. I think there's a truth that's bigger than that. I think that there is a reality that goes beyond the reality that we're creating today. So beware distraction. We are on mission. Mind your heart. It is as dangerous as any weapon. And be ready to leave behind your plans because Jesus is inviting you into something wholly better. And here's what uh, I really hope and I pray. What we find when we walk with Jesus is that our preferences are no match for his presence. And eventually, if we do it right, they become the same thing. What we find when we walk with Jesus is our preferences are no match for his presence. That whatever our circumstances, being in his presence is enough. It is better. And when we are in his presence long enough, our preferences align with his. Because we're reading this narrative and it's hard to follow Jesus at first. Gosh, that's a lot to give up. Gosh, that's a lot to commit to. And what this says to you is eventually you walk with Jesus long enough and you begin to see like the teacher sees. You begin to, to your heart beats for the things his heart beats for. Your heart breaks for the same things as his. And so as we narrow in on Jesus, we can trust that as a community, our unity is found in him. That our, our shared principles, our shared preferences will be just to be in his presence and lead from there. Church, I'm excited about what's coming. This has been a strange season for sure. But I I do think that we have an opportunity even today as a restart, as a relaunch. We called it a relaunch on purpose. We didn't open the building. We could have opened the building. And we've been saying all along, the church has never been closed. The building was locked for a while. But the church has been open and we've been on mission and it's time to continue that. And so we are not simply reopening, we are relaunching. And that's why we're where we are. That's why we're focusing on mission. That's why we're going, hey, what, why do you exist? And as you and I focus in on that question, go, God, why did you put me here today? You don't have to take your whole life and try to figure it out. Take today. God, what is today for? Whose life can I bring life to today? Whose heart can I bring hope to today? God, why did you put me here today? And as we join in that mission together, as we launch back into that together, there is hope greater than any of us can imagine. And it doesn't matter what is happening outside these walls because we can go fearlessly into the, into the void, and we can present them with hope beyond their wildest imagination. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are you're good. You're not always easy, and your truth is not always easily swallowed, but it is good. Father, I pray that hearts here would be uh, lightened, that we wouldn't feel the burden of following you, but the freedom that you will carry our burdens. Father, I pray for each heart in this room that the things we brought into this room, maybe we would leave them here with you. 
And Father, as we put our our fears and our failures upon you, as we put our shame and our guilt upon you, as we put um, all the things we brought into this place, as we leave that on you, we put that on the cross and allow you to get rid of that. Father, my prayer is that you would lead us out of here in great freedom and hope, that you would lead us out of here in a lightness of being, and that lightness, that hopefulness, that graciousness would permeate every relationship we have. Father, remind us that we are relational beings. Remind us that every neighbor and every coworker, Lord, every relative, every person we meet, whether it's in the grocery store or on a Zoom call, Father, remind us that they were created in your image, that they are your son or daughter created with a hint of your glory. Lord, may we interact with the world around us, not as the Zebedees calling down fire on enemies that disagree. Lord, may we interact with those around us like Jesus who gave up his life while we were yet enemies so that we might know freedom and hope and joy again. Father, find us walking in your footsteps, following in the way as we take this journey together. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.